So we finally get the dream. We get to hear what it is. And it's like a commentary on human history or on the history of Babylon. And not just the history, but the future of Babylon. The, the, it's very clear that Daniel says, you're the gold head, uh, O King Nebuchadnezzar, which probably made him kind of happy. He gets to be the gold head, pure gold, um, the top of the statue. But then there's another kingdom that's going to come. And, you know, if you just read the next kingdom that conquers Babylon is the Medo-Persian Empire. It happens in the book of Daniel while the king is partying, while the, the Babylonian kings and all his court are drinking out of the sacred vessels from the temple that they've stolen in their, in their conquest. The Medo-Persian Empire diverts the river that runs through Babylon and sneaks in through the gate where the river would normally flow through the city, secretly, silently, and they take over. And now you have the Medo-Persian Empire, and it's under this empire that the people of God are restored to the land of Israel. Cyrus, the king of the Medo-Persian Empire, is the king that, that sends Zerubbabel back and Ezra back and others from Babylon back to the land that they had been exiled from. So some good things happen. Um, and that's silver, right? Medo-Persia, silver. And then you have bronze. You can see the metals getting less and less valuable as you go down. Uh, bronze is, a, uh, I believe, a mixture of tin and copper. Um, that's, that's how you make bronze. There's the Bronze Age in archaeology and, and in history where people made weapons out of bronze. It was a little stronger than other materials. But you have bronze. It's, it's a good material. Uh, many people, again, uh, you know, Daniel doesn't say who these people are. But many have seen the Alexander the Great, his conquests of all of all of the world. By age 32, he has conquered all the way to India, into Afghanistan. There's still descendants of his Greek colonies living there in Afghanistan. Um, he conquered the known world. Of course, he was a rich kid. He inherited his kingdom from Philip of Macedon, his father, who died suddenly and early. And Alexander, as a young man, takes over his father's conquests and takes it all the way. And it is this conquest that spreads the Greek language all over the world. Um, if you were to go travel anywhere in the known world, what we would call the known world today of that time, uh, hundreds of years before Jesus is born, you would be able to speak Greek anywhere you went. And this Greek language that had only existed in Greece and maybe a little bit in Macedonia before that, now is a universal worldwide language that every single person has to know a little bit of, kind of like English today. You kind of have to know a little English to uh, live in this world, even if you live in a country where it doesn't even speak it. Um, and, then, um, and then you have um, iron, and it's pretty hard not to associate iron with the Roman Empire, that um, they become this military power. They are not a philosophical people. They are not a people uh, that like to think about how to make life better for them and everybody else like the Greeks do. They want to conquer. The more they conquer, the richer they get. 
the more countries they conquer of barbarians and people that live far away, the more Germans they conquer, the more French people they conquer. These are all like, you know, they were called different things then. The richer they get in Rome and they get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. While they're conquering in Great Britain, Julius Caesar's conquering in Great Britain, Pompey conquers Palestine, conquers Israel. Um, so this, um, and then this, this, this feet, Daniel spends a lot of time on the feet, the iron and clay feet. And it's really hard to know exactly who the, the iron and clay feet might be. Um, some interpret this as the uh, Ptolemaic and Seleucid dynasties that come out of Alexander's conquest uh, and sort of fight for the land of Israel back and forth. They, the Seleucids are up in Syria and the Ptolemies are in uh, Egypt. The most famous Ptolemy uh, leader of Egypt is Cleopatra. The Cleopatra you see in films and in stories um, is Cleopatra the seventh or the sixth. There's a lot of Cleopatras before her, but the one that you know has the affair with Julius Caesar and then Mark Antony and is part of that whole intrigue that is happening right before Jesus is born. All these events happen. In fact, it is Mark Antony, Cleopatra's Roman conqueror, lover, who is the one that puts Herod in the place of honor and privilege, makes him the king of the Jews in the time of Jesus. So all these world events are like being molded and shaped uh, by this by this power that Daniel is tapping into, that he is aware of. And all these events are setting up this moment where this stone that comes out of nowhere it is not made with human hands. It is The stone is of divine origin and smashes into the statue, and it falls. And looking back as Christians, it's really hard not to see this stone as Jesus, who is not made with human hands. He is not born according to the flesh, but of the will of God. Lots of New Testament writers make this point, that although he is born of a human mother, his origin is divine. He is coming out of kind of nowhere to smash into the human kingdoms of the world. It is at the precisely, precisely this moment of iron, the Roman mixed with clay, the instability of the late Roman Empire as it starts to crumble and starts to get weak and people start rebelling against it. It is at this precise moment that Jesus is born and sets up his kingdom, a different kind of kingdom that will not be ruled by Nebuchadnezzar's, by Cyrus's, by Alexander the Greats, by Caesar Augustus. They won't be ruled by these fools. It'll be ruled by the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, who will not be like Nebuchadnezzar. He will be very different, but he will still have a kingly rule. He will still have this kingship rule over all the world. And, you know, you'd think Nebuchadnezzar would be kind of mad and upset that he's just been prophesied that his kingdom's not going to last forever. But he's not. He's happy. He got his dream interpreted. Everybody's, everybody's happy. Um, he promotes Daniel to be uh, head over the entire province of Babylon, sort of as a governor or administrator or some sort of official. He's not the king, but he's up there running the whole, the whole thing. And he, he appoints his three companions, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who in a few chapters, or actually in the next chapter, are going to be thrown into a furnace to be burned alive because they refuse to worship the statue of the king. It's hard for me not to make a connection between the 
dream of the statue. And the next thing that Nebuchadnezzar does is build a giant golden statue of himself. And when he builds a giant golden statue of himself, he doesn't make it in different materials. He makes it pure gold from the head to the toes. It's almost like he's saying that dream that I had that Daniel interpreted isn't going to happen. It's going to be all gold all the time, Babylon forever. But we see that is even a pipe dream. That is his own imagination. That is not what God is planning. And Daniel's there to tell them. So it's hard to know. None of us are kings here. Um, And we look at our own country and our own national identity as Christians in America. And we say, you know, this might not last forever. This thing called the United States of America. Many the founders of this country knew that when they founded it. They wrote a lot about how quickly we could all go our separate ways. And many times throughout human history, we've all tried that. Um, But remember that the kingdom of God is forever. The real identity that we have as Christians is through Jesus Christ, who is our our king. And we we, we live and do our best in the nations of the world that we find ourselves in. But ultimately, our ultimate allegiance is to Jesus, who transcends all kings, all democracies, all republics, all governments. He is the one that we devote our life to, the one we give our life to. Amen. I will sing to the Lord, for he is lofty and uplifted. The horse and its rider has he hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my refuge. The Lord has become my Savior. This is my God, and I will praise him. The God of my people, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a mighty warrior. Yahweh is his name. The chariots of Pharaoh and his army has he hurled into the sea. The finest of those who bear armor have been drowned in the Red Sea. The fathomless deep has overwhelmed them. They sank into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, is glorious in might. Your right hand, O Lord, has overthrown the enemy. Who can be compared with you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, awesome in renown, and worker of wonders? You stretch forth your right hand, the earth swallowed them up. With your constant love, you led the people you redeemed. With your might, you brought them in safety to your holy dwelling. You will bring them in and plant them on the mount of your possession, the resting place you have made for yourself, O Lord, the sanctuary, O Lord, that your hand has established. The Lord shall reign forever and ever. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen.